Ghostman Horror Host here with a book to scare you with some fright about Halloween and the Justice of the Night. House of Justice of Horror Short Story by Vincent Baroni. The house on Bruno Lane wasn't quite big enough to be a quarter mansion, but it was still pretty big and old. Unlike its neighbours, it was finished with wooden planks, some of them darkened with moss, blackened with moss, others splintered. If they hadn't been painted, the house could not have looked so bad, but then again, it would not have looked so scary either. And usually houses that look this scary were haunted. Maybe that is why the justices decided to turn it into a haunted house each Halloween. When September turned into October, the justices freed up their schedules and began converting their front first floor into the scariest place in Babylon. What people loved about it were the rooms. Unlike a regular haunted house filled with decorations and actors who wore scary masks and jumped out at you, the justices made a house look like a museum of torture. Each room acted as its own its fit. Everyone was allowed to spend as much time as they wanted at each. All they were to all they were asked to do was stand behind the velvet ropes that blocked them off. The exhibits were so terrifying that a nearby amusement park had tried to replicate them a few years back, only to discover there weren't any draw. They, they ain't. They, they, they weren't. They weren't drawing any attention. They, to their surprise, their exhibits lacked something that justice didn't. They never got a chance to find out what it was that. It was neither for either for the justice changed their rooms every year and they only opened the public for one night only on Halloween. The justices were an old family. Michael, the father, was a dentist. He was a tall moustached man with eyes that were slightly crossed from staring into open mouths all day. He converted the basement into his office. And his cheap rates brought him a steady flow of patience. His wife, Gabriel, found that tending to the house while husband Ward was boring, and so decided to work too. He turned the second floor into a beauty parlour, and worked one on one with clients. She wasn't so much to look at in herself, but she did have a nice pair of legs. Samuel, a twenty. Seven-year-old son worked as a butcher while Ariel, their teenage daughter, helped out around the house. Out of all more, Ariel was the only one with blonde hair. It was rumoured that the justices opened their house to be to the select number of people every year. Each year before Halloween, nobody knew how they chose them. And everyone who asked to be included was never turned down. Yet the purpose was no mystery. Just as casinos had soft openings, 
The justice's haunted house was a pre-screening, and anything that wasn't scary enough or manufacturing, well-vanturing, was said to be fixed. Chris Gortler found herself to be one of those select few. After finishing his donut and licking the glaze off his fingers, he reduced a card from his back pocket. He held in front of him his bowing stomach and read it again. You are cordially invited to the Justice Haunted House. For a pre-screening, please arrive between 7 and 8 p.m. on October 26. He crammed the card back into his pocket, climbed the seven stairs to the porch, sweating a bit and breathing heavily as he did, and rang the bell. The charms was something he could have expected to hear, the church loud gongs that somehow eerie and sinister. If he had been so excited and music that might have been sent a chill down his spine. Soon the knob turned, he held his breath. He thought about wiping his fingers on his jeans to make sure he hadn't made any, any clays left on them. Before he could, could, the door opened. He was greeted by the familiar face of the butcher. Welcome to the Justice Residence, said Samuel. I'm glad you could come. Thank you for inviting me, said Chris, wading into the house. I still, I still can't believe I'm here. People talk about the pre-screening, but no one's ever met anyone who's been to one. I was beginning to think they were lying. Samuel smiled. They weren't, of course, and of course I chose. They weren't, of course. They weren't, of course, and of course I chose you. You're my best customer. You buy more meat at my shop than anyone else in town. Without giving Chase a chance to say anything more, he added, "Come, follow me." He walked by a bunch of rooms, silver and poles connected as velvet rope. In each of them, Chris looked into the ones he passed. After the first, he said, Hey, I thought this was pre-screening. Where are all the people that were supposed to be in the rooms? Samuel chuckled. It sounded like the marbles cracking together. Oh, that's what the pre-screening is for. If all Chris could ask what that meant, Samuel spun around. He moved so fast that Chris could not see. What he hit him with. When he woke, he found himself strapped to a table. He tried to wriggle free, but his efforts were in vain. He could not shout either. His mouth had been taped shut. All he could do was stare at the ceiling as he thoughts of what might become of him scurried restlessly through his brain. After lying helplessly for what felt like a millennium, Samuel came into the room holding a shiny object in his hands. I see... I see that you're up. I see that you're up, Daniel, Daniel said, grinning. What would you do if I told you that my family needed your help for a haunted house? Would you give it? Grace tried to... Grace... Chris tried to scream something, but his words were muffled. I take that as a yes, Samuel said. He raised his cleaver high and dropped his arm. The cleaver disappeared from Chris's sight. 
Suddenly there was a burst of pain with his insect finger and a bean. Samuel picked it up and he chopped it, chopped up, chopped it. He had chopped off and held it in front of Chris's eyes, which was nearly popping like out of his head. The thing Samuel was holding looked like a worm covered in ketchup and a finger. He peeled back the tape over Chris's mouth and shoved the finger in it before Chris could spit it out. Samuel clumped a hand over it. Chew it before you choke. He, inst- he instructed. Chris tried to scream something again. Don't. Did your mother never tell you to talk? Did never tell you to talk with your mouthful? Chris answered by screaming as the clover. He arose and fell, rose and fell. The next day, Greta Nita Van Gore rang the justice's doorbell. She was tall and skinny with elbow and hair, green eyes and an exotic accent. Her figure turned quite a few heads. She knew it too. She was Gabriel's client and been to the house number of time, a, few, a number of times, most recently, to have her skin fluorescated and her eyes hair lightened. As she listened to the chime, she learned, studied her face in the little mirror inside the compact she carried it around. She spied an errant eyelash and plucked it free. She was trying to decide if it should apply a quick layer brush to her cheeks when the door opened. Nettel, welcome. I'm glad you could help us out. Gabriel said she wore a black dress with heels despite the additional two inches they awarded her. She still failed to achieve Nettel's height. Nettle walked right past her, running a bronze hand through her hair. Gabriel, listen, do you think you have time to do my eyebrows? After this thing, they're starting to grow in. Oh, I should think we should do something about them, Gabriel said. But first, the haunted house, please. Etiel sighed. This should not take too long, will it? I'm going out at nine. Not at all, not not at all. Follow me. Gable let her pass the room behind the velvet ropes. They're all dark. Say, what gives? Didn't you tell me you haven't even started it yet? There's a more distressing thought in its way. The weaves of rattle extravagant hair into a head. Wait. What do you want my help? Wait, what? Wait. You you do want me to help you, do do you? Give her a laugh. Why, that's exactly what I want you to do. That is when Michael grabbed Nettil from behind. She screamed and kicked, but she held he held her tight. He dragged her back into the room and buckled her into a high-backed wooden chair. When he finished, he asked his wife if she would need more help. No, honey, I think I take it from here. Thank you. When he left, Gabriel walked slowly round her client, studying her and said, Oh, Nettie, you really do require some work. 
Let you spit on her. Let me go, you psycho. You get well, wipe this bat away. I think I can help you out. There's a little a new procedure I've been walking on about. I'll let you just in time for. She walked over to work in it. She walked over to the counter and picked up a shiny metal bowl. She brought it over and began applying the contents to Nettle's face and hair with a special applicator. The space burned horrible and stung Nettle's hestrels. Then it started to burn. Nettle felt it begin to slip into her scalp, but quite possibly a little further still. Paul, Scarodo arrived at the house a day later when his invitation instructed. Just like the dentist's appointment he'd been putting off for the last, for the past few years, he put off the pre-screening. He thought he'd pass it entirely and just check at the haunted house on Halloween, or quite possibly the year after it. He got around to it. In the end, he decided that since the since the cab would not would have passed the justices anyway, he might have stopped by all by. He raised his hand to knock on the door, then dropped it. Even though the house looked old and creepy, there were these were modern times. Houses today you had doorbells. It'd be so much easier to ring a bell and knock. He found and summoned the chimes. Oh, Mr. Scudity. Michael Justice said, opening the door. It's been a long time. Paul smiled. Paul offered a smile, winced at a pain in his jaw, and stuck at his hand instead. How are you, my? How are you, doctor? He mumbled, feeling a bit embarrassed. I've been meaning to make an appointment. I just have not been able to get around it yet. You know, you know it's how it is with work and all. Michael nodded as he had been indeed known. He invited Paul in. After taking his coat, he said, To be honest, Mr. Scullody, I didn't think he would show. This is a pleasant surprise. Thank you. And thank you for your invitation. I, uh, I heard a lot about the haunted house. Just a shame I haven't been able to get around and seen it before. Not to worry, not to worry. Today you'll make up for all those lost years. Follow me. Michael led him toward the darkened rooms to a door, opened a down the staircase beyond. Paul looked at each stair as if they were an obstacle inside. When he finally reached the bottom, he sighed again. It was in he was in the dental office. Don't look so put out, Mr. Scullady. Oh, are you here? Have a seat. I can easily tell that your mouth bothering you. Let me, let's take a quick look, shall we? Paul thought that making up an excuse. Possibly something along the lines. I think I heard my wife calling, but then finally gave in. Like Dr. Justice has said, he was already here. Besides, all he had to do was sit back and relax while the dentist did his job. He sat in a chair and closed his eyes as it reclined. When he was opened, when he asked to open his mouth, Michael exclaimed, Oh my, Mrs. Colody, 
You just see me months ago. It looks like you several would be at bee's teeth. Oh, that ba- looks bad. Osmanitis. What is that? What's that? Paul mumbled. An affection of the bone, in case you jawbone. In your case, a jawbone. You, you have to be t- get this what, taken care of straight away. Paul mumbled something again. It sounded like right away. Just relax, Michael instructed. I know exactly what I do. He grabbed what looked like an oxygen mouth and put it over Paul's face after three deep sleep. Perhaps he was asleep. When Halloween came, Gabriel Jessus opened the doors to a cheering crowd. The line this year was longer than it had been before. It stretched all the way to the street and doubled back on itself to a snake trying to fit inside a small box. Gabriel collected the money and let groups of seven go in at a time, handing each a patron of a special vomit bag as he or she walked by. Brian Mudrick was among the third group. He raised his sunglasses and smirked to the first exhibit, which wasn't exactly as scary to him. He paused at the second behind the velvet roots of the street. Seats of Pagliniss was a fat man strapped to a bloodstone table, his bulging stomach spitting and seams at his skirt. His arms and legs was missing. A never man, this one holding a meat cleaver, stood over him like an executioner. He wore the black hood, except instead of a chopping of the man's head, he hacked at what was left at the stumps of his limbs, causing jets of blood to spatter the Pagliniss. Some of the onlookers screamed. But they all glanced at what happened next. The executioner picked up the flesh. He just sliced off and crammed it into the fat man's mouth. Blood dribbled down the side of the man's face. As the executioner forced him to chew and swallow, one of those onlookers vomited into the special bags. was too much for Brian. He walked over to the next exhibit, which is decorated like a bedroom. In it was a beautiful woman shackled to a dresser, running a brush methodically through her long auburn hair. Her flawless skin shined as though it was made of wax, and her dark green eyes stared into the mirror as though she were hypnotised by her own reflection. Brian didn't think this exhibit was all that scary. He was just a boy to voice his opinion when one of the onlookers cringed. The beautiful woman's hair came out in clumps for each with each pass of the brush. One hair fell out. The horror didn't stop there. While she tried to brush, she began rubbing her cheeks, though to fix the makeup. The first nothing. At first nothing happened, but then, like butter, it started to melt slowly. A hole opened in the side of her face, exposing her teeth and her tongue. The latest pinkish standing out in a stark contrast against the bronze skin. To make matters worse, the woman behaved as she didn't realise this was happening. She just continued her actions as she hoped they would fix her imperfections. 
The next three exhibits were like the first cliché. Something found in any haunted house, wooden props and mechanical drummies. The last was where the money was. A dentist's chair had been moved from the basement and secured to the floor. In the centre of the room, a man lay strapped in it, his nails digging into the fabric of the armrest as he struggled to free himself. A strange metal contraption clapped his face, spread his lips and pulled them away from his gums, making his mouth three times bigger than it should be. And it should. For the first time, Brian found himself wondering where the justice got the actors for their rooms. He wouldn't mind being one just to find out how. They some of the exhibits looked so real. He was debating on whether or not to go uh, go up to the woman at the front deck door and ask for a job when Michael Justice walked in wearing his smock. Brian nudged the teenager next to him and said, Hey kid, bet you five bucks. He does something worse than just pull teeth. The kid eyed Brian and after a minute he said, You're on. Michael approached this chair and sat pulling an instrument after instrument until he finally came upon the scalpel. Say, 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 ah, he said, moving, laughing mechanically to reveal a set of teeth as white as a piano keys. A man in a chair screamed, as did, as he did, as he did, Michael sliced and opened his gums, pulled out chunks of deteriorated bone. It looked like flakes of wood, scorched by fire. Pay me, Brian said. The teen suddenly snapped a five-dollar bill into Brian's hand and walked away. A young blonde girl was standing on the stairs watched his exchange. She studied Brian's slick back hair and the way he wore his sunglasses inside the house. When she was sure of her decision, she approached him. Hi, she said. I'm April Aerial Justice. Brian lifted his glasses, looking, letting his eyes wander over her tight figure. Her baby blue eyes and her golden locks. He tried to say something witty, but all that came out was air. I was just wondering if you'd like to put your name into a raffle. Ariel continued, maybe win a chance to design a room with us for next year. That cured him. Raffle, sure. I'll put my name in. How much is it? He had pulled out his wallet to put it. Put away the teen, teen's five dollars that he used to. Now, now he used to pull it out a few more bills. How many tickets can I get? The tickets are free, and you can have, have, only have one. This is way fair for everyone. Come on, Brian. Come on, Brian Tees. How am I going to win with those odds? Tell me, do you what? I'll slip you twenty to stuff the. Harry smiled. Well, you're cute, so how's this sound? Come with me and you can help me stuff it yourself. Without giving a word, him a chance to reply, she walked away. Over her shoulder, she added, Maybe I'll let you stuff a little more. If you're lucky. Brian followed her into a back room. 
his heart fluttering like the wings of a butterfly, as he watched her hips away sway back and forth. The next thing he knew, she was pushing him back and grabbing his wrist. He didn't fight her. He liked kinky girls and let her press him against the wall. That was when he felt something cold clamp onto his arms and legs. We've been waiting for someone like you for a while, while now, Ariel said, checking to make sure he was trained. You amazed how long this wheel had been sitting there. She pulled a lever, the giant roulette wheel. Brian had been shackled, rot rotated so it was parallel to the floor. She pulled against the lever and started to spin. Brian's world went round and round. Let's see what type of room you end up in. Finally the wheel stopped and there was no ball, but Ariel didn't seem to mind. She just called out the number Brian's head pointed to. Double zero. Brian swallowed hard. What does that mean? Oh, that's a good one. Ariel said, you'll find out next year. Half an hour, Ariel went up to her mother and whispered something in her ear. Gabriel responded by telling her to make a sign that said more rooms would be opening next Halloween. Ariel did as she was told. She stated to the ground up front. It could not help but notice that one of the boys standing in a line had pulled out a ringing call pulled out a ringing call phone. She closed enough to read and scream. Even a screen, Emily, free. A boy looked at it, silenced it, and quickly stuffed it back into his pocket. Then he grabbed the girl's hand he was with. The girl sandwiched with it between hers and leaned her head against a big red L on his team jacket. A boy leaned to, leaned to kiss the top of her head, but paused when he noticed Ariel watching him. He took a look at the figure and winked at her instead. His upper lip curling, April went back, knowing she had just put the sign out just in time.